Uh, go ahead and grab your Bible, open it to Luke chapter 7. If you've been here any time over the last roughly seven months, you know we have been spending time in the Gospel of Luke. As a church, if we are truly about being disciples of Christ and making a disciples of Christ, we want to know who this Christ is. And uh, the best place to figure that out is in the Gospels, the life stories of Jesus. Now, speaking of stories, we have been looking at uh, often stories that are unique to Luke, often called parables. Parables that Jesus told that are found only in the Gospel of Luke. Over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at another set of those stories that have a specific theme. You'll catch on to that theme quickly. Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. I'm going to read it out loud. I'm reading in the Living Translation, which is probably slightly different than yours. Uh, But I'll tell you verse numbers as we move along. Luke chapter 7, verse 36 to 50. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a expensive, uh, excuse me, yeah, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. Verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She is a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Verse 41. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Verse 44, then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head has anointed my feet with rare perfume. Verse 47, I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The man at the table said amongst themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. We might take this passage slightly different than you've heard it in times past and recognize this is just one of the ways that we can interpret this. The story to me screams generousness, screams generosity. But what exactly does that word mean, generous? 
The first definition given in the dictionary for the word generous is liberal in giving or sharing. Unselfish. Now I know a few people who are very, very generous. And I know a few others who are very generous, but they give with the expectation that someday they'll be repaid. In Jesus' day, when people invited somebody over for dinner, it was uh, standard. It was the expectation that this act of hospitality would be reciprocated. That's why in Luke 14, Jesus said, when you invite people for a banquet, don't invite those who can invite you back. You see, one could be very liberal, very generous in giving with the unspoken expectation that you get paid back. But would that truly be being generous? John Bunyan, author of The Pilgrim's Progress, that classic Christian book, would have added something more to the dictionary's definition of generous. He says, you have not lived today until you have done something for someone who can never repay you. That, doing something for someone who can never repay you, to me, is the definition of generous. And that's kind of what we'll be working from this morning. Now, in our story, in our text, we, we see three very good examples of this, this uh, definition of generosity. We see it first in the lender, the parable that was unique to Luke. This is verse 41. Then Jesus told them this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both. Kindly forgave, not grudgingly forgave, not mumblingly, mumblingly forgave. I can't even say that word. Not forgave the hope of repayment. He all out canceled their debt. Now this is generous financial forgiveness. I want you to take note of this. Both debtors were forgiven. And both, I would imagine, would have left pretty happy about it. If you were the debtor who owed 50 pieces of silver, or or the Greek says 50 denarii, you would have left thinking, wow, I just regained two months of my life. Because a piece of silver or denarii was worth the equivalent of a full day's wage. So that would have taken about two months, if we do the math correctly, working six days a week. So he leaves pretty, you know, pretty excited. Imagine what the person who had 500 pieces of denarii forgiven him would have felt. Quick, somebody do the math. How many days would that have been? Math teacher? How many months? 200? 20. 20 months. 20 months. That's one and three quarters years. This guy would have left thinking, I just regained one and three quarter years of work. Hard labor, working in the Palestinian sun, long days in the scorching heat. Wow. The person in the story could have been saying, you know what, you owe me five days of work. But I know you can't repay it, so I forgive you. I generously give it back to you. And I'm going to do so kindly. That is liberal, unselfish sharing that is not paid back. It fits our definition. Now, I said there's three characters in this story that demonstrate great generosity. We just saw the first. Generous financial forgiveness. The second is one that you could probably catch on, but we're going to take it a little bit different way. 
It's the generosity of the immoral woman. She gave away several things that she did not expect to have repaid. Verse 37. When a certain immoral woman from the city heard that Jesus was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. She knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. Now, on the surface, seems like a pretty generous gift, right? This beautiful alabaster jar of perfume poured onto his feet. I'm not going to deny the generousness of that, but I think that she gives way more than just her valued perfume. She came that day with a reputation, with a label, right? And in verse 39, when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. She's immoral. Does he know what she does for a living? She came with a label. We don't know for sure what made her immoral. We don't know what made her a sinner. Many commentators speculate that she was a prostitute. It doesn't, their text doesn't confirm or deny that. It just simply tells us she was a sinner. But she did that well. She sinned well. Jesus confirmed that. Verse 47, he says, I tell you, her sins, and they are many. Jesus didn't deny it. He recognized who she was. <coughs> Excuse me. With a reputation like that, you may argue with me on this next point. But I want to say that this woman was generous with her dignity. She was generous with her pride. Let's look at this in verse 44. Jesus said to Simon, he actually turned to look at the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Now, Simon, the Pharisee who originally invited Jesus to his home, didn't do any of the standard things you would have done to an honored guest. He neglected to do them. But the woman didn't. She did those things, and she did them extravagantly. To wash his feet, she used her tears. Verse 38 says she wept at Jesus' feet. Now, the term wept in Greek is not just a few simple tears, right? It's not just Oh, boo-hoo, let me wipe this one off my cheek. The term wept in Greek is also used to describe rain showers. See this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 45. You can just listen. Jesus was talking about loving your enemies, and he says, In that way you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven, for he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain. It could have been translated, and he sends weeping on the just and the unjust alike. The word rain is the same word used for her tears. And you don't get tears back. She was generous with her tears. Tears to wash Jesus' feet. And what did she use to wipe his feet? Not a trick question. There we go. Her hair. Okay? Her hair. She used her hair to, to wash his feet or to wipe his feet. Do you catch the significance of that? We probably don't in our culture, okay? Raise your hand if you got your hair down today, women. Okay? I'll raise it a little bit higher. Okay? Very good. I see it down. I see it flowing. It looks very pretty. 
It very much does love that. I like the way it kind of curls and maybe doesn't curl if it's straight. It looks good. Okay? Women wearing your hair down today, no big deal. But in Jesus' culture, in that day, the day a woman got married, she put her hair up. Never again to be worn down in public. If a woman's hair was worn down or let down around a man, it could very easily be interpreted as her being flirtatious, as her being promiscuous. A woman's hair worn down was seen as sensual. So for the woman to pull her hair down to wipe Jesus' feet, imagine the gasps that would have come from that room when she took her hair down. One commentator said, had she been a married woman, that, that in itself would have been grounds for divorce. Yet this woman generously gave her dignity and her pride, whatever she had left, coming with reputation, she gave it to Jesus. And she did it without expectation of repayment. Let's keep going. Verse 45. She didn't greet me with a but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. Talk about unselfish. In our day, and in their day, the feet are one of the most dirty parts of the body. Anybody want to kiss somebody else's feet? No. But she's giving unselfishly, generously. Pride and dignity, gone. Final thing she gave was the obvious thing. The expensive perfume. Verse 46. Jesus said to Simon, You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. This unnamed woman gave generously, unselfishly of potentially the only thing she had of, any, of anything of, monetarily, of, of monetary worth. You know, maybe she owned that because she was so good at doing whatever she did that was immoral. However she came by it, she didn't hesitate. She just gave it away. And Jesus saw in her actions an expression of love, which we could also say he gave away. Verse 47, Jesus says, I tell you, her sins are many, but they have been forgiven. So she has shown much love. Generous with her pride and her dignity. Generous with her perfume. Generous with her love. That's just the second example. You see two of them, the creditor and the immoral woman so far. The third example of someone giving generously is the, uh, the gimme, is Jesus. He demonstrated great generosity which also could not be repaid. That was the obvious example of Jesus generously forgiving the woman's sins. As we saw earlier, he knew what her past was. He knew what brought her to the table. But he forgave her anyways. I found it interesting as I was looking at this passage and then studying it, there's actually many commentators who believe that Jesus had had an encounter with this woman prior to this event where he had already forgiven her sins. And she came and did this in response to that forgiveness. These commentators make a pretty good case. Now, if this was true, if the woman already knew that Jesus had forgiven her sins, then why would he tell her again? Verse 48. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Let's say they did meet someone who already forgave her, and she understood the weight of it, and that's why her actions 
led to what they were. Why would he have told her? Perhaps it was for her. Perhaps for her own encouragement. Maybe, maybe telling her, hey, these tears, they've been heard by God. Psalm 126, 4 through 6, the psalmist says, Restore our fortunes, Lord, as streams renew the desert. Those who plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. They weep as they go to plant their seed, but they sing as they return with the harvest. Perhaps Jesus told her to just reassure her, daughter, your, your sins are already forgiven. Or perhaps she knew that and he was saying that for someone else. Perhaps it was for everyone else listening that he said that. If it was for everyone else listening, then Jesus was being very generous with this woman's reputation. If the woman had been previously forgiven, not being aware of it, not being aware of her new status, you know, he still sat there and thought, ooh, why should this man of God, you know, associate with her? So Jesus saying your sins are forgiven would have told Simon, hey, she's no longer what she was. If his, if his statement wasn't for her, but for Simon and all those listening, Jesus' intention was for the community to then welcome her back with the full social status with which she had been excluded. You talk about generosity. Yes, Jesus forgave her sins. That's huge. But then he reinstated her social status. That can't be repaid. Three examples in this text of generosity. The lender, the immoral woman, and Jesus. All giving liberally, unselfishly, without getting paid back. So what do we do with this today? What do we take away? I want you to take away two things this morning. The, the first is a, is a biblical truth that you can just hold on to. It's, it's something when the storms of life happen and you find yourself needing some of this generousness we've talked about in the story, you can cling to it. Jesus has. He is and he will offer the same forgiveness very generously that he talked about in that short parable. You know, whether you think you owe him 50 or, or 500 or 500,000, Christ will gladly, kindly, and generously forgive you. That's a truth that we can hold on to. And when Jesus told this parable, the man who loaned the money, he, he chose his wording carefully. He said the man canceled their debts. Now, this Greek phrase, it was a common business term for remitting debt, and it's the very same verb that would later be used in Scripture to picture the free offer of God's grace and forgiveness. The very same word. You see that in Romans 8, in 1 Corinthians 2, in Philippians 1. We see it very good in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Paul says, instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. So the truth is this. Jesus is ready to kindly and generously forgive your debt to Him. Whatever sin you think is too great for Him to look past, whatever ache you're holding on to because you don't think you deserve to be forgiven, Jesus is ready and willing to generously forgive. All you have to do is receive it. That's the truth I want you to take away this morning. Hold on to it tightly and imagine what would happen if we all lived into that. Whatever sin that we've allowed 
to weigh us down. Gone. The second thing I want you to take away is, is just a simple question. How are you living generously in your life? How are you living generously? Are you generously canceling financial debts that are owed to you by people who may not be able to pay them back? Are you generously giving away your pride and dignity somewhere, somehow, in an effort and a choice to follow Christ? Are you being generous with your own forgiveness of others out of response to God's generousness to you? I realize that there are a million plus ways to live generously. And I just ask you, how are you doing that? How are you doing that? In the words of my former boss, Pastor Dwight Spots, I'll wrap up with this. Think about that this week. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for this story this morning. I thank you for the reminder that you have been so generous to us. Not only in coming sacrificing yourself for us, but continually offering your forgiveness to us, your grace to us. Of generous I pray it would be known as a generous people. In whatever We ask this week. In Jesus' name, amen.